weekend. And uh, boy, a man joining us now that I think is a little jealous of Baylor homecoming. There's just so much. There's so much to do. Now, this will shock you. Stephen Simcox joining us now, my former compadre, my producer, my close friend. Stephen, uh, how much did it catch you off guard that I was running a little bit behind at the start of the 5 o'clock hour? Did that, were you surprised by that And uh, for someone that's usually right on time? characteristics so i was uh i was mm. like is that okay is everything going all right yeah you are usually punctual that's one of the uh, words i would use to describe you very punctual always ready to get going on time aaron can confirm that um and the jealousy over now i'm being somewhat facetious but i mean you got to admit steve the the baylor homecoming scene your mom's a bear she loves it the the the, the parade I mean, I don't know how we lost you to, to, to the TCU world, and we'll get into this big, this huge TCU Horn Frog game coming up. But now, Stephen, as a child, were you at all of these homecoming parades? Did your mom have you dressed up in Baylor gear? I don't. I, what, what was that? Uh, did you kind of? I mean, and, and did it? Was it almost too much? Did you start to rebel even as a child uh, to uh, to to kind of have being surrounded by by all these Baylor people? Yeah, I mean, it was. It's always a great event. The parade is kind of one of a kind, and I went to uh, more than a few growing up. It was always kind of a staple of of our house. We'd go to the homecoming game. We'd make sure we made the parade. Uh, but you know, I mean, I wanted to get away from all the pomp and circumstance so i went to a really small uh you know other private school that definitely doesn't have any privilege or anything like that it's in tcu just a real, <laughs> real humble abode there in fort worth yeah they really are they uh, there's no pretentiousness there uh in any way they're on the tcu campus and uh, that is a uh, but i i gotta say steven i i and you do that Locked On podcast, and that's a good, boy, that's a really good, and I don't know, man, my, your family is rapidly expanding. I mean, I we had just announced one child, and then another child arrived. I think you've got two of your children with you right now. Bradley and Abby are hanging with you. Maybe the younger children are with Kristen. Sometimes you all divide and conquer. But you got a lot on your plate. Is that eating into... Any of your podcasting activities, or are you still like a five days a week podcast? How how often are you cranking out the Locked On TCU podcast? Yeah, yeah, we're doing five days a week. I typically do it. Well, this this used to be. I think this used to be prime time for you. I record late at night, which mostly I feel like that used to be your routine. I, I think as you've gotten a little older now, you've kind of settled into more of a normal. Uh, human being that goes to sleep at a at a decent time, but mm-hmm. we do uh, we do five days a week, and yeah, we're we're turning it out, and it's uh, it's been fun to talk about the team the last uh, really the whole start of the season, honestly, since they've gotten to six and zero, and we're uh, we're trying to to keep up with this Sunny Dyke squad. Yeah, and boy, Sunny has it going now. It, it, there is the Sunny the knock on Sunny. We're talking to Stephen Simcox former producer of the uh, Matt Mosley Show, ESPN Central Texas, and a TCU alum, but does have Baylor family members, so he has been sanctified in some ways. The Sunny Dykes, uh, you know, in the past 
He's had some of these great starts. He's sort of known for the November swoon. Now, he said in a news conference earlier this week that, hey, this is a different chapter. This is a different history, what we're doing at TCU. Now, you remember when Baylor had some of these great runs in recent years, and and they had to pull some games out, and a couple of them came against the Horned Frogs. Of course, the Horned Frogs have won their share as well. When you think back on what TCU just did to Oklahoma State, which was trail much of the game and then come back, force overtime. You remember when Baylor did that to TCU at a game in Fort Worth just a few years ago with Matt Rule as coach. Do you think those games, sometimes when you do something like that, it can almost have a galvanizing effect? In a sense, you feel like not only did you win the game, but the way you did it, I mean, to me, that could give – TCU again this is a huge game coming up Saturday against Kansas State but I'm just wondering that winning a game like you did down 30-16 and you come rolling back and you win in in double overtime what do you think that's could do for this uh, version of the TCU Horn Frogs I think it's huge for their confidence uh, and you're right Matt like he he got the nickname September Sunny because those SMU teams would get off to these blazing starts and then as as the year got longer and the days got colder it seemed like they would really kind of shrivel up but um, I think that was a little overblown you know last season it was a really crazy situation like it was an, kind of an open secret with two weeks left in the year that he was going to take the TCU job I feel like if I feel like that didn't get enough attention nationally like the, the the report came out the day before they played their last game that he was taking the TCU job so Sonny's walking you know, to the stadium, and SMU fans are yelling at him, like, I bet you wish you were wearing purple. Everybody sort of knew that he was he was leaving. So I, I feel mm-hmm. like that team just kind of imploded with all the distractions that were around them. Um, but that has been a knock on him. I, I feel like those close wins are going to help this group. And they've kind of done that two weeks in a row. I mean, they were down seven in the third quarter against Kansas on the road, and that crowd was pretty revved up. It, it felt like, okay, this might be the, the time that they slip up, but they found a way to win that. Came back against Oklahoma State. Um, I mean, if they can win Saturday, just sort of looking ahead, you have to go to Morgantown, which is a, a tough road trip, um, and then you get Tech at home. But there's a path to be conceivably 9-0 and when you roll into Austin for that Texas game, which would be a pretty huge deal. Um, now they got, they got to win those games, and it starts by beating – K-State, but um, yeah, I feel like this could be something that propels them, and and they're going to need that because they had a bye week early in the season, so they're playing 10 straight games to close the year. They don't really have a break at all, Um, so that's a lot to ask to, you know, run the table, but I I think they're finding ways to win even when they don't play their best football, and I feel like this team hasn't really put together a full 60 minutes yet, so if they can do that, then obviously – um, they'll be even better than they've they've been so far this season. Does the University of Texas have anybody on that staff who knows this TCU program? Do you think that might be a – you know, it's funny to me is like that that if y'all were not, I know, going into Texas, that would become a huge storyline. I mean oh, – yeah. And yet <laughs> most times we don't do storylines on somebody that's like a consultant or like a what – what do you call those guys? Advisors or whatever they are. Yeah. yeah, like a football analyst, and, and, and that would be the enormous story. I would say one of the most thankless jobs in America is defensive coordinator at the University of Texas. 
Like, first of all, nobody even ever says the guy's name. I think it's Pete Kwiatkowski or something like that. Everybody just ignores him. It's like, and, and of course, if they do poorly, then he gets credit. He gets the blame for that. But as long as they're doing well, it's like, oh, Gary's doing all that. Gary's putting that all together. Now, let me ask you about this TCU player, Quentin Johnston. For people that are just starting to pay attention to the TCU story, this to me is, and there have been some great ones, that guy a few years ago that went to uh, uh, what they used to be called the Redskins, the Commanders, uh, now, but he was a first-round pick. I mean, TCU's had its fair share of great receivers, but this guy has a chance to be one of the best ever at TCU. I mean, the, the size and the speed, the combination is unreal. Um, has he always had that, and in, in, in has it this year, is it just because they're winning, we're all noticing, or is this guy, Quentin Johnston, become noticeably even better this year? He's always had the, the physical abilities, obviously. I mean, he's 6'5", he's over 200 pounds, he has the speed, as you mentioned, and he would he would make some flashes like a couple seasons ago. He had a huge game against Oklahoma and Norman. He had 150 yards and, and a couple touchdowns, and that was sort of like his coming out party on a national scale. I mean, he started as a true freshman, but he hasn't had a thousand yard season. And I mean, funny enough, like he's on pace to do it this year, but he's just at 500 yards halfway through the year. Um, I think the big thing for him has been. You know, the last few seasons they've they've made an effort to get him the football, but it's really been in those like 50-50 ball situations on, you know, fade routes and go routes and just if he's kind of manned up, they would throw it up in the air and, and let him use his size to try to go get the football. But, but this year this staff is making more of an effort to get him some easier throws. So, like, he's running some, some shorter routes where he'll just sort of turn around those stop routes and hitch routes, run about five or six yards and catch the football. And what, what we found out is that he's really good after the catch at turning up field and making a guy miss. And then he's so big that he can sort of just lean on guys and fall forward for four or five more yards. So that's been a new element to his game. But, yeah, it's an interesting case. Like, he, they, they said, Sonny Dykes and Garrett Riley said before the season they, that it was basically his offense. They were going to try to tailor the game plans to him. And then the first three or four games of the season – he didn't really get the football much at all, and it was sort of like, okay, I guess this is just going to be another year where it's it's kind of frustrating that he's out there and he's not getting much attention. But the last couple of weeks against Oklahoma, excuse me, against Kansas and Oklahoma State, suddenly he's getting all these opportunities and and making the most of it. So um, I think he's he's gotten better, you know, through the years. I feel like this offense has just been more friendly to everybody, from Max Duggan to Quentin to Kendra Biller. They're all sort of uh, having big seasons, and, and he's taking advantage of it. But, yeah, I mean, the the hype has gone up significantly. I mean, there was some buzz around him maybe being a first-round pick in the offseason. And the last week or so, Matt, I'm hearing, like, maybe he's wide receiver one, which is a crazy jump in a short amount of time. But, I mean, I definitely wow. understand why people are excited about his physical ability just because he's so big. And as you said, he can he can also make some things happen after he catches the football. All right, I, 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 he's he's fascinating to watch, and I'm having a really good time. Uh, and, and of course, the uh, now the Bears have a chance to do what the Frogs used to do to them, and and that's play what they did last year. In fact, play the role of spoiler down the uh, uh, here. And talking to Stephen Simcox from uh, 
Well, he went to TCU, big part of the ESPN Central Texas family, still uh, helps out in a lot of ways, but also went into the very lucrative mortgage business. So we've <laughs> we've lost him, but always fun to get to catch up with him. And he he is a, a TCU insider. I thought that was interesting, by the way, that Zach Evans, I was just looking it up <coughs> to see the former TCU running back, what he's done at Ole Miss this year in his junior season. And he's run for 605 yards at six yards a carry, seven touchdowns. Of course, even in his freshman, sophomore year at TCU, in limited time, <coughs> he had nine touchdowns in those two years. So the guy... I mean, it's really something to watch this. Do you ever daydream of like, okay, what would this thing look like with him still, or are they getting plenty from the uh, the run game? You know, sometimes I do because he did have so much talent. I mean, he just you could tell it was different when he was on the field. He had a game last season against Cal where he ran, ran for over 200 yards, and, I mean, he basically like won them the football game. He had some other big games throughout his time, but – the weird thing about Zach, and I never figured it out, I, I haven't watched him a ton at Old Miss. I do know he's been productive, and they're having a great season as well with Lane Kiffin. But he would just he would take himself out of the game so frequently. You know, he would get three or four carries on a drive, and then he would tap his helmet and come out. And, and I never knew if it was some sort of agreement that he had with the coaching staff or if it was just, like, understood that he wasn't going to be a player. They got 20-plus carries, but it, it never felt like – they reach, you know, his full usage. I remember when they played Texas last year, and, and people asked Gary about it. And of course, they Bijan Robinson, who's having a really great career at UT, he gets the ball a ton, and he, he said something to the effect of like, "Well, we're never going to use Zach like they use Bijan," and it was just really confusing. So, I mean, maybe this coaching staff could have unlocked some sort of um, mm. ability in him or, or a desire in him that the old staff didn't. But it just seemed like he was always working on a pitch count and I never got the full story there and then he was injured at the end of last year um so I think honestly like Kendra Miller and Amari Mercado have done fine um you know they run the ball well the offense is productive so no I, I don't think about it a ton um I feel like they miss his ability to catch the ball at the backfield at times and if if he was all in and ready to you know get a lot of touches I think it could have been an amazing season for him but um, it just never clicked at TCU for whatever reason. Well, uh, Stephen, it's great catching up with you. Stephen Simcox joining us. I just had an epiphany. What if I, you know, we're supposed to be on the air at 7 a.m. Saturday. What do you think if I did like a, on the, the man on the scene reporting live from the the homecoming parade while Tom was out with the um, – you know, out at tell, at the uh, tailgate, the Baylor alumni tailgate show, and then I could kind of monitor and talk about what was going on at the parade. And of course, our coverage would start at, from about eight thirty from the parade. <laughs> no, 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 I, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know, Stephen. Think that one over. I'm, I'm just, I'm having some thoughts. I think Aaron would like that. Aaron's uh, producing that fine program. Seven a.m. Do people? Stephen, do you feel like people kind of drive around and get up early on a Saturday morning about 7 and want to hear a little pregame? Has that always been your experience? I think you might want to do a man on the scene from a nice brunch spot, Matt. That might be a good Mm. good project for you. Just kind of check out that situation, get some reports, see what people are excited about, 
Yeah. Um, and, and then maybe you could wander in there about 9 and talk with John. Remember that one time your mom got mad at me because I said something like, <laughs> something about H, you were doing that. Echoes or something. Do you remember when you were doing one of those reads and you kept talking about mimosas? And I just thought, Stephen Simcox does not drink mimosas. Like that, I mean, he, you know, I'm not saying maybe he wouldn't sample something, but I promise you he's not at brunch sipping on a mimosa. But didn't I say something like, I, I, I said something about that the Simcox family doesn't even know what a mimosa is, and I feel like your mom got some, gave me some pushback on that. Yeah. I don't yeah, know. Debbie Simcox, who's never had a drop of alcohol in her life, wanted you to know that she she was cool enough to know what that was. She would never, <laughs> she would never partake, but she's certainly aware of, of what those things are. Debbie Simcox, Matt Mosley, two teetotalers uh, from uh, the, the greater central Texas area. All right, Stephen, uh, great to visit with you, as always. And uh, good luck to the Frogs. That game's Saturday, Kansas uh, State and uh, TCU. What's the what's the time frame on that? Where can we watch that game? That's uh, 7 p.m. Um, it's on FS1 because Fox is broadcasting the baseball playoffs, so they're getting pumped to oh, wow. basic cable. It's okay. 7 p.m. Kansas State. Uh, TCU on Fox Sports 1. Oh, gosh. I hope they don't get Tim Brandoed. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think it is a Brando-Tillman broadcast. Like broadcast. Gosh, Tim, Tim will have a little chance to, to partake by then. All right, uh, Stephen, <laughs> always good to visit with you. I'll, uh, I'll talk to you soon, okay? All right. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate it. Okay. Give my godchildren a, a hug. Feel like I need to spend a little more time with them. Uh, it is 